The letter that changed the world, the biblical theology of Romans, this is part 52. So if you're here as a first-time visitor tonight, you have missed a little bit. Putting on the armor of the light. I know we've been out of this for a couple of weeks now. Romans 13, 11 to 14. Paul writes, Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. We looked at these verses in our last time together. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. There has never been a human being who has drawn breath on planet Earth ever who is closer to the second coming of Jesus than you people. The night is far gone. We talked about that. The day is at hand. So let us cast off the works of darkness. He's writing to Christians. Let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. 13. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality, that's inappropriate sexual expression outside of marriage and before marriage. And contrary to God's order of a man and a woman for life. Not in sexual immorality and sensuality. Not in quarreling and jealousy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So... He says, uh, put on the armor of light, the last part of verse 12. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't mean two things. He's saying the same thing in different ways. Verse 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify, gratify its desires. So, so since 12.1, roughly, Paul has been giving this list of very practical moral imperatives to the church. And there's something to learn on interpreting the Bible properly. Because he does it in all of his letters. He starts with the doctrinal content in Romans 1 through 11, those chapters, and then he moves on to practical exhortation and instruction. He never, ever begins with anything other than doctrine. Like he never just starts telling the church to love one another or to reach the lost or to exercise spiritual gifts or to pray. He gets to that, but he always starts with God and what God has done. So he never, he never really starts with us at all, but he gets to us eventually. I feel like there's reverb in my voice. Are you hearing that a little bit? Like I'm talking inside a tin can? Okay. He never really starts with us at all. He gets to us, but only in the light of, of the great truths about God. He starts with God. There's a lot to be learned from that. We, we, we see this incredible patience that Paul has with biblical truth. The Bible is not a self-help manual. It won't work as a self-help manual. If you read the Bible to discover, you know, seven steps to your best life now, you will always miss the true power of the sword of the Spirit. And so, so we learn that God's Word has to, be, has to be planted 
before it can grow. You start with God and what you know about God and the fruit of the Christian life comes out of that. There has to be thought and understanding before we will see fruit. So, so in other words, the answer to the objection, Pastor Don, all this doctrinal stuff, give us something practical instead. So the answer to that is doctrine is impractical to the Christian in the same way that sowing seed is impractical to a harvest. But from Romans 12 to where we are now, he's been applying truth, drawing fruit out of it, giving practical instruction. It's all about, it's all about not conforming to the world. It's been about renewing our mind. It's been about finding and exercising our gifts in the body of Christ. It's been about not striking back, taking vengeance when we've been wronged. It's about leaving things in God's hands. It's been about our relationship to government and those in authority over us. It's it's all been this practical instruction. And then we come to our text today. Chapter 13, 11, 12, 13, 14. Especially verses 11 and 12, which we looked at in our last teaching time together. And then then suddenly, we find Paul, once again, he's not talking about doing something, but about knowing something. It's all based quite deeply again in understanding. Christian people are people who know The night is far gone and the day is at hand, verse 12. They know this. They understand this. And and Paul tells them this to keep them from getting... He has two goals. He wants to keep them from being discouraged first and then to keep them from getting lazy. The night is far gone. The day is at hand to keep them from getting discouraged and to keep them from getting lazy. First, they're to fight discouragement knowing that the night is far gone. They're to know, we're to know, however much, however much we still groan, Satan is spending himself. He is like batteries in a flashlight that's been left on overnight. And so Paul comes to these people and people like us, and he, and he urges them, don't focus on how dark it is right now. Don't focus on how bad things might be right now. Don't focus on how long you feel like you've been in the night. Set your mind on this, that the night is far gone. God has his plan. It's not going to last much longer. The day is at hand. So that's to fight discouragement. And then secondly, I said, they're to fight laziness by remembering that second part. The day is at hand. It's kind of like running harder because for this whole marathon, all you've seen is the back of the head of the guy in front of you. And now suddenly, oh, there it is. There's the tape. There's the finish line. It's not much farther. Come on, suck it up. Burning lungs, aching muscles. But there's the end. There's that rousing of heart when faith begins. Just begins to 
to turn to sight. The pulse rises. The excitement of that second coming, as surely as he came as a babe in Bethlehem, died on a cross, rose again, he's going to come again. There'll be a new creation. The sky is turning pink. The day is unstoppable. Everything we've said is compressed into Paul's phrase at the beginning of verse 11. Besides this, you know the time. Everything hinges on knowing the time. You can't do anything else right until you feel in your bones that the world is dark and asleep, that things aren't normal. If you think they're normal, if you buy shares in this world as though it were normal, you're just asleep. And if you don't see the dawning of the day in Jesus Christ, it's coming. If, 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 if you don't see the sky turning red and you buy shares in that coming day instead of this fading night, you'll be without Christ when he comes. There are two more ideas. All of that we've sort of studied before. There are two more ideas that I want to pack in tonight. Two more truths about knowing the times. But I'm starting numbering them like it was number one because it's been so long since we were here. So point number one, though it's really not the first point. The Christian is called to be awake in the midst of this sleeping world. The hour has come, middle of verse 11, for you to wake from sleep. Salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. Now there's another text where Paul uses almost the very same words. It's it's 1 Thessalonians. You'll see the similarity. 1 Thessalonians 5, 5 through 8. Paul writes, again, to Christian people, You are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. See the similarity? So then let us not sleep as others do. Let us keep awake and be sober. Those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, we belong to the day. You don't belong to this age of night. Since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having having put on the breastplate of faith and love, And for a helmet, the hope of salvation, the hope of salvation. Remember this morning where you put your hope? So both of these, the Romans 13 and the 1 Thessalonians 5, both these two texts are day-night passages. So they, they divide and separate people into two groups. There are people who are asleep. There are people who are awake. There are people who are people of the night. And there are people who are people of the day. The difference, Paul says, is the people of the night, they have no idea that the night is almost gone, that they're going to be caught, that it's far spent. So in in Paul's words, they don't see the inevitable day coming. They're in the dark. Why? Why? I mean, what, what keeps them from seeing clearly? Paul says they're asleep. They're like people whose, people whose plane is taking off at the airport. They're still in the Hilton. They're asleep because the alarm didn't go off. Now, there is a real plane. There is a real runway. 
There is a real departure time. It's not that these things aren't happening. It's not that they aren't there. It's not that they aren't real. It's that they're just asleep. They're asleep to that reality. When that person wakes up, you realize that they missed it all. Only in the context of our text, there's, there'll be no more flights. This is the cause of Paul's cry to the church. You, you can almost hear him yelling. You can see him waving his arms. The hour has come for you to wake from your sleep. Now, don't, don't leave it like that, just this religious-sounding phrase. He means, he means entertainment-saturated people are asleep, and they can't be awake to Christ. He means money-saturated people are asleep, and they can't be awake to Christ. He means sports-saturated people are asleep and can't be awake to Christ. He means sex-saturated people are asleep and they can't be awake to Christ. He means leisure-saturated people are asleep and can't be awake to Christ. That's, that's what he's talking about. It's day or night, light or darkness, awake or asleep. Everything that doesn't awaken more faith, hope, and joy in Christ, anything that doesn't rivet my attention and fix it more distinctly on Christ, puts me to sleep. And, and notice... Now, you see what's happening tonight? We got 200 seats here in the two middle sections. <laughs> I'm not singling anybody out. Paul doesn't just say that Jesus will awaken us from our sleep. He says it's time for us to awaken from our sleep. It's different. It's, it's morning. It's too late for sleeping. The call is to become freshly awake, freshly alert to the reality of the passing of this age and the coming of another. Paul thinks that millions of churchgoers believe this is true but aren't awake to grasp its urgency and the full glow of its glory. And that leads to the second point. To be awake, to be awake is to be at war. Now, we know that because of what he says in verse 12. The, the night is far gone. The day is at hand. That's what we kind of were considering. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the, what? Armor. It's an interesting phrase, isn't it? The armor of the light. And, and then he repeats the concept again in verse 14, but uses different words. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So 12, put on the armor of light. 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you think, Paul, what are you doing? Why do you change the phrases? Why change the language in those two verses? I think, I think here's the reason. I think he wants to tell people about putting on the Lord Jesus Christ... 14. I think that's his goal. But he has this fear. He wants to tell them about putting on Christ in a way that isn't just religious talk. So he first describes putting on Christ as putting on the armor of light. Verse 12. 
I, I, I think Paul knows how much we talk about putting on Christ, how we, Jesus is Lord. We speak of having Jesus in our hearts. But all that can become quite empty and, and trite. I mean, we all know the lingo. Talk to a thousand Christians and you know you're reading the same script. And so Paul says, I'm not, I'm not talking about jargon here. I'm not talking about church speech. I'm, I'm talking about whatever you think putting on Christ is. I'm talking about a whole different kind of putting on Christ. It's really an alertness to a danger. It's an awakenness that I'm talking about. I'm talking about, I'm talking about putting on the Lord Jesus Christ as a declaration of war against empty, sleepy, verbal spirituality. I'm talking about putting on Christ in a way that refuses any kind of compromise of faith with the surrounding culture and the pressure of the surrounding culture. And the only way he says I can describe it is putting on Christ like you put on armor when you know you're going to be shot at. So think of that full body stuff that, you know, someone fighting in the hills of Afghanistan will have this on. That's what I'm talking about when I talk about putting on Christ, he says. That's what I'm talking about. It's not something to be done without concentration. It's not something to be done without Effort. It's not something you should ever just get used to. So, there's that fundamental point where people of the day were not asleep. And to be awake is to be at war. That's what we're seeing here. It's so important because in the next two verses, Paul's going to give some instructions that people might just interpret as being narrow and old-fashioned and confining if they don't see the point to the instructions. That's why he starts farther back. They might just see Paul spinning out some religious rules. You're not allowed to do this. You're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to do that because, well, they're against your religion. Terrible reason. He's listing things that keep people asleep, that keep people in the dark. 13 and 14, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, sexual immorality and sensuality, quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision. What we're going to do next Sunday is we're going to examine those three groupings, orgies and drunkenness, sexual immorality and sensuality, quarreling and jealousy. We're going to look at those next Sunday night because those are the world's sleeping pills. This is how Satan keeps brilliant people numb and dumb and asleep toward God and asleep toward Christ and the rapid close of the night and the soon arrival of Christ's dawn. He doesn't want people thinking about that. And those pairs, those three pairs, that's how he keeps them from seeing. But the point now, before that, is Paul doesn't want any one of us just minimizing the importance of his warnings. Everybody knows, everybody knows how easy it is for contemporary churches today to grow huge crowds of people who don't have any sense of the seriousness of the time in which they live. 
But, but Paul's not exaggerating. He's thinking clearly when he talks about putting on Christ the way you put on armor. You need armor. It's Ephesians 6 stuff, taking the whole armor of God. If you don't stop doing these kinds of things, Paul says, then you just aren't awake to God at all. You might sing the songs, you know the lingo, you might be spitting out the right words, but you don't get it. You're still asleep. And there's a lot at stake. It's, it's dangerous to be asleep on a battlefield, isn't it? It's dangerous. Not to be alert, not to be awake. Point number three, we're almost done. <clears throat> the deepest meaning of this present moment So what's the call of the Holy Spirit to our church in this text, to us? We mustn't miss it. And it's easy to not see what Paul is saying, okay? Is this a call to sexual purity? Let me surprise you. No, that's not the call. Is it a call to peaceful unity without jealousy and quarreling? No, that's not the call. Is it a call away from substance abuse and drunkenness? That's important, but again, that's not the call of this text. The primary meaning of our lives in this moment is to all just become more fully awake. And without this, what is the incentive to all the specific steps Paul gives in verses 13 and 14? If it isn't the coming day, the coming of Christ, if we don't know about that as a motivation for everything we do in our lives... All the specific instruction steps are just self-improvements without a big reason behind them other than a nicer life. And that's not what Paul's talking about at all. He's talking about knowing the meaning of the time. Nobody's going to do any of those things, those three pairs. No one will do any of those things with any degree of urgency or consistency, for sure, with, without any degree of joy until he becomes persuaded the night's passing away. The dawn is coming. I want to be ready for the dawn. I want to be ready for the dawn. My heart's desire as pastor of this church is just that. The drive for putting on Christ has to be that you know that you know that you know that the coming is nearer now than ever before and your whole life is aimed at it. And that has to be internal. That has to be in you and it has to be in me. Because it can't, at least not for very long, it can't be enforced by preachers or parents or youth pastors You, each one of you hearing these words, has to be personally awake to the urgencies for yourself. Most of your life is lived in private. Your church can't legislate your spirituality. You're either awake to its consuming importance and glory, or you aren't. Paul says Christians have to keep waking themselves up. The world in which you live might be able to land a person on the moon but it's drowsy to the dawn, to the coming of the new day. It's asleep. We know that because Paul says Christians need to wake up. 
It seems odd that Christians would have to get this instruction. But I think we all know awakening from sleep isn't something that's instantaneous for most of us. We know the difference between that first moment of gaining consciousness and the effort required to rub your eyes and clear your throat and finally throw your legs over the side of the bed and start to get up and face the day. And Paul says, that's what I'm calling you to do. More and more and more. That's what I'm calling you to do. As the night speeds to a close, as the coming day gathers momentum, constantly be taking off the pajamas of this world, Paul says. This world saturates our mind with those kind of sleeping pills and not to be aware of it, not to be constantly fighting against it. That's to be asleep already. Apparently, if this text is true, there's a bit of pressure here. We don't have endless time to wake up. What is it? What is it you want to be for Jesus? What is the Holy Spirit prompting in your soul? How is he trying to wake something up in your life? The night's far gone. Day's coming. You don't have forever. Salvation is much nearer to us now than when we first believed. So, so don't, let, don't let the culture in which you live most of your life, don't let it sing its dark, confused values into your mind. Look toward the dawn. Sing for joy. See the brightening sky and never for one minute, never for one minute stop putting on the armor of the light. And everyone said...